So there isn't really that much more to say anymore than, than, than is in that book. Of course, Prabhupada also wrote so many books and he also spoke the same knowledge that he put in the books, so there's no harm to speak on it. It's interesting that I'm often asked to speak on this subject by brahmacharis, but if we consider that brahmacharis, devotees living in the temples, male celibate devotees, they're joined in ashram, why? Because they've considered that spiritual life is more important than material life and that they would rather dedicate their lives to spiritual understanding than the normal materialistic way of life of just ato kuiha kshetra sutakta vitaya janasya moho yamaha meti. You all know what this means? Do you know what this means? Who knows? Who can say what this means? Yeah, the newer devotees don't know. You must be. This is from the instructions of Rishabdev. I'll say the whole verse. This is from the fifth canto of Bhagavatam. Pumsastriya mittuni bhavame tamta yoraho vidya ganti mahu ato griha kshetra sutapta vidaya janasya moho yamahamameti. This says, this, in this verse, which Prabhupada quoted many, many times, uh, Rishabdev says that the attraction between male and female is the basic principle of material existence. Or to put it in a, to put it in the way that the Kamis put it, the, looking at it from another angle, that means from the angle of being in Maya, they say love is what makes the world go round. So Rishabdev agrees, but he says it from a different point of view. He says that the attraction between male and female is the basic principle of material existence. And from this basic illusion <coughs> or attachments, other attachments develop, namely attachment to home, attachment to one, atol griha, home, then kshetra means land, that may mean one's own land. We have, and traditionally people, they have a house and a little land at least a little, maybe a lot. Or Kshetra also means one's land of birth. We are Indians, or I'm a Bihari, or whatever. We are proud of our land of birth. In Bengal we used to see, written on the wall, Amra Bengali. We are Bengalis. There was one movement. Political kind of semi-revolutionary movement, Amra, Amra Bengali. You used to see written everywhere on the walls. I heard one of my godbrothers. He was. He runs a stall in a market in his hometown, in city in America. So he sells all kinds of things there, like T-shirts, and he also sells Prabhupada's books, and various things to maintain his family. So I heard that he, after this uh, attack, America under attack on September the 11th, it's been such a big event. So he had the good idea, he immediately ordered so many American flags, and people were buying them like anything. Yeah, we're American. He wanted to show. So attachment to one's home, one's land of birth, his children, his relatives, his money, in this way, illusion expands and one thinks in terms of I, me and mine. So, brahmacharis who have, or young men, single men who have opted to live in an ashram, they have done so because they consider spiritual life to be more important than material life. Or as Prabhupada said, uh, Self-realization, not sense gratification, sometimes we see. 
they put this on t-shirts. It's actually a quote from Prabhupada's books. I just read it just about ten minutes ago. It's right there in Prabhupada's books. Self-realization, not sense gratification. Brahmacharya life. Brahmacharya life means Brahma charity iti Brahmacharya. Means to Brahmacharya, sometimes it's translated as celibacy, but that's not actually a correct translation. It means to to move in or to live in spiritual existence. For which non attachment is right. Non attachment that is the basis of spiritual life. So non-attachment means non-attachment to home, wife, children, all these things. So, so celibacy is equivalent to brahmacharya in that sense because brahmacharya is expected to be not attached to all these things, therefore celibate. So devotees who are living as brahmacharis, they've, they've seen that yes, material life means entanglement. So let me dedicate myself to spiritual life. Nevertheless, brahmacharis, they often ask for, to be instructed on the principles of brahmacharya because even though one has taken up such a life, he's made a decision based on his intelligence and his desire to serve Krishna. Still, it's not always very easy to be a brahmacharya, even though one has decided that this is the way I want to spend my life. This is what I want to do. Actually, anyone with slightly developed spiritual intelligence can see that the endeavor to be happy in this material world is its ridiculous. And especially the endeavor for sex life is, is just... is really not worth it. You have to go to so much trouble to enjoy sex life and you have to make such a fool of yourself. I mean, especially in the modern age, you have to... mostly people are working for a boss, and you have to you have to take so many insults. Or if you're working with various people, you have to adjust yourself to them. And mostly, people are very mostly, especially in the modern age, people even supposedly cultured people. They're actually a very low consciousness. <coughs> Another devotee, again from America, householder, was he was telling me he was he was working, he was. I think he was doing he was doing estate management or what's that estate what's that called estate agent selling land like estate agent yeah so he he said he was he worked intimately with two lawyers which means highly educated people intelligent educated but he said they they never spoke among themselves when they were speaking in their leisure time they never spoke anything even from the material point of view of any higher caliber. And when they spoke, they would speak about football and drinking and women. This is what they would discuss. They, they, they had a very low platform of consciousness, even among the so-called educated people. So, um, anyone of, of slightly developed vivek or discrimination, they can see that in material life, it's just ridiculous. And especially the sex attraction. It's as Prabhupada very graphically used to put it, actually following the so many not only Prabhupada but so many Shastras. They all say that what what is this attraction to a, a bag of bones covered with skin? But due to that the whole world is in illusion. So devotee, especially a brahmacharya, means someone who's declared this war against Maya, or he's put himself in a position where he wants to cultivate higher mode of life and a higher mode of thinking than that which is based on sexual attraction and all the other kinds of attachment that go with it. But it's it's very interesting that to see that devotees they desire to be instructed in these things because even having made such a decision, still the attraction remains. It's not by intelligence alone, or even if you dedicate your life in that way, it's not it's not so easy to overcome Maya. 
Even if with our intelligence we can understand that it's just my, it's just nonsense. But still it's it's not so easy, despite everything, despite having dedicated our lives in Krishna consciousness, spending all the time in the association of devotees, engaging in devotional service, having a full program of hearing and chanting about Krishna, a life which is completely centered on and absorbed in the activities of Krishna consciousness, still material attachments are so strong that we feel the influence of Maya especially in the form of sex desire. So often devotees, they ask for such discussions. And in the early days of our movement, we used to have like Brahmachari meetings or Brahmachari pep talks in which senior devotees would come and say, ah, it's all my work, give it up, and everyone would go, yeah, die, and then they... <laughs> And then most of them would all get <coughs> married anyway. Yeah. Even there was, uh, you see, Prabhupada used to quote this shloka from Yamuna Acharya Yadavadi Mamacheta Krishna Padara Vinde, Navanava Rasadhamanud Yasadantamase, Tadavati Patanari Sangamis Mariamani, Bhavati Mukavikara Sushtu Nishthivanancha. Which means that a Yamuna Acharya, Prabhupada explained, he was a great devotee, but he was a renunciate, a sannyasi, but previously he was a king. So as a king he had so much opportunity for indulgence in sexual affairs. So Prabhupada said that when he explained like this, so this verse means, Acharya says that since I've been engaged in the transcendental loving service of Krishna and feeling ever new pleasure in that loving exchange with Krishna, he said that, that whenever thoughts of sex life come in my mind and my lips curl with distaste and I spit at the thought, the word nishthivanam sounds very cultured Sanskrit word it means to spit I spit at the thought so in the early days of our movement some of our because in the western countries they Prabhupada had brahmacharinis also because it's a different situation to India isn't it? if they had to live, if they couldn't live in the ashram they couldn't be Krishna conscious at all because there's no such situation at home or, and many, many of them didn't even have homes there. So Prabhupada allowed that in the Western countries to give the opportunity to, for women to be Krishna conscious. So sometimes in, in the ashram, you see, when the, some of the more staunch brahmacharis, when they would walk past the woman, they would spit. Because <laughs> they were thinking, you see, we have to follow what Prabhupada said. But that's not what, he, that's not what the verse says. It says he spit at the thought of sex, life, not spit on women. Or it's very insulting behavior, actually. And uh, it's offensive also to devotees. So this idea that, you know, we'll be like super staunch brahmacharis and dye your cloth dark red, <laughs> just to see her it doesn't work actually. It's this uh, attraction and repulsion are two sides of the coin. In other words, if, if someone is like so much anti-woman, I, I hate women, I hate women, hate women, hate women, hate women. <laughs> it means that you're thinking of women all the time. You're not a brahmachari. So the real thing, which is very difficult, is to be, because as Prabhupada also explained, quoting from Vishwanath Chaturvaita Thakur, that the world is full of women. So what are you going to do? You're going to be a super brahmacharya. You can either go to the Himalayas and sit in a cave, but we can't do that either. And even if we did, we could bring all the women in the world in our mind. <laughs> or we can become peaceful, calm and self-controlled with our thoughts fixed on how to serve Krishna. Of course, a brahmacharya is advised to avoid the association of women as much as possible. But it's not possible to completely avoid because the world is full of women and the Krishna Conscious Movement is meant for all human beings, not only male human beings. And preaching or even the ordinary activities of Krishna Conscious means that also 
when we're preaching, there are so many women present, and, uh, and they, they may like to become devotees and engage in activities of Krishna consciousness. So, definitely, there shouldn't be a very loose atmosphere, but at the same time, there should be, among devotees or men, devotees of preaching, they should be cautious in their dealings and reserved and formal. But at the same time, we just have to accept that there are women and there are also spirit souls. It's, it's not, in the Christian religion, um, when they first were making up their theology, they, they said that only men had souls. Women don't have souls. So, the Vedic culture has never said such a thing. In fact, according to the Vedic culture, all souls are Prakriti, except one, Krishna, who is Purush. So, this kind of fanatical anti-womanism, it doesn't work. But one, as Prabhupada said, Brahmachari should have keep cool written on his forehead. He said, just like the butter packet in the western countries, they say, keep cool, refrigerate. So in the same way, keep cool, keep cool. Rajagun means burning, hot. Dushparena analena that's stated in Gita. That lusty desires, they burn in the heart. It's the burning like fire. So a devotee should keep cool and not be disturbed if he has to deal with members of the opposite sex. Now, of course, that's easier said than done, but that is the idea. That means uh, coming to the platform of the mode of goodness and beyond becoming Krishna conscious, which is actually the way to be a brahmacharya. Ultimately, one has to have a tasting Krishna consciousness. There are various methods of so to help subdue and control the senses, as one should not mix with the opposite sex unnecessarily. One should lead a regulated life, not eat too much or too many luxurious foods, not sleep too much, control the mind and the senses and not talk nonsense and certainly not indulge in uh, reading karmi literatures or seeing TV and cinema and all these things which simply agitate the mind. So there are met these are methods of, to help control the mind but ultimately one has to develop taste for Krishna consciousness so that when one is feeling a taste, just like Yamuna Acharya, that's called it, when one has a taste in Krishna consciousness, when one has a strong desire to serve Krishna, then that sensual attraction which is so strong that it controls the lives of all materialistic people, it becomes simply insignificant to a devotee. That you, a devotee sees that. <laughs> he doesn't even think that I should enjoy is this, he's just thinking, how can I serve Krishna? He sees that from the point of view of, not simply from the theoretical point of view, but he just sees sense enjoyment as insignificant and as a cause of suffering. We were just discussing this morning how, as Prabhupada often used to say, sex life licit or illicit, it's simply a cause of suffering. So a devotee who's actually taking pleasure in serving Krishna, then he he actually feels that. What is the pleasure in material life? Why should I bother with that? So now you all have the opportunity, at least those of you who are amateurs living in the ashram, very nice opportunity to serve Sri Sri Radha Giridhari Karnitai within the within Srila Prabhupada's preaching mission. You have nice temple, nice association. So take it. Don't get entangled and involved in material life, which is, it's, unless one is very strong, even in householder life, one can be Krishna conscious, but unless one is very strong and determined, even, even as a devotee, it's very, 
very dangerous. One can easily become entangled in over-sense gratification and then fall on the platform of spiritual realization. So having come to this situation, better state. Anyway, in the first few years of Brahmacharya life, especially, you, you, first four or five years, you, better you don't even think about so many things. Better you just chant Hare Krishna, be happy, serve Krishna. And then maybe by the age of thirty or so, if you're feeling some difficulty, you can consider, shall I go this way or that way? Generally, we recommend stay on this path because if we simply serve Guru and Krishna throughout our lives as Brahmacharya, then it's very easy to go back to Godhead without any unnecessary entanglement in other activities. But if one feels that it may be difficult for him to do so, then by the age of thirty, latest one should better. You make a decision and then you, if you want to get married, do it. And there's no condemnation for that. But it's recommended if you have this opportunity and if your mind is not overly disturbed, it's understood we're all conditioned souls and some disturbance will be there. But if we're basically happy in serving Guru and Krishna and there's so much work to do in preaching and expanding the Krishna conscious movement, so if we're satisfied doing that, then better be satisfied and go on with this. And some sexual desires will be there, but Pallad Maharaj recommends we simply tolerate that. He gives the example just like this itching sensation. If you tolerate it, then it gradually fades away. But if you scratch it, then at the time you scratch it, it feels nice. But then, then the itching becomes more and more and more. Then it becomes an infection and so many things. So better tolerate. That is the recommendation of Prahlad Maharaj. Well, anyway, as I was saying, I wrote a whole book on this. It was actually the first book I... The first book I made was actually in Bengali. It was like this beginner's guide. I was in Bangladesh at the time. I made this beginner's guide. I made something similar to that in Bengali with the help of Bengali people. My Bengali is not so good that I can write a book in Bengali. Uh, but then the first book I did in English was this Brahmachari book because I saw that it was so much needed. So that's being reprinted now in a slightly revised edition, not much difference to it. Some little editing and one or two extra points added. Otherwise it's basically the same. So, you can read that book. Many devotees have expressed appreciation on reading that. Even many householders, they appreciated it maybe more than the brahmacharis because from practical experience they can, they can realize actually how true many of the points are. Even many Mataji devotees appreciated it. So you can also read it. We have a few copies here. So that will help you. The main thing is that we should be very careful in our dealings. We shouldn't become... We should be formal and proper in our dealings with members of the opposite sex, but not become overly friendly on the material platform. And we should fix in our minds the mission just like this uh, Kavi says. What is it? Begin with the begin with the goal in mind. You should have some <laughs> mission and you have to write a mission statement, isn't it? You're supposed to write a mission. So we should have in our minds our mission. Our mission is to be Krishna conscious and go back to God. So it's good to have a mission in life. Some basically our mission is to become Krishna conscious, but then we we may also have some particular service goal, whatever it may be. If you're a pujari, that could be to how to serve the Lord in the nicest possible way every day of your life. Or if you're preaching in the colleges, you can think how to expand that more and more. I have a basic mission within Prabhupada's service, although it can be adjusted also according to the basic mission is to serve. But I have a basic mission that I have, some, I have some books I have to write. <laughs> then I have to travel and preach also, especially in India, because Prabhupada wanted some Western devotees to preach in India, and not that many are doing it, so now I'm somewhat accustomed to the 
culture and the climate and the language so I think Prabhupada would want me to continue doing that so we should make like that have some mission something if we have a, an urge to do something in Krishna something we want we're trying to do in Krishna's service some goal something of course we, when we say goal it's never finished because Krishna's service is never finished it's not that now I achieve my goal and now I'll retire it's not like that there's always more to do in Krishna's service but we have, we have some aim, something we want to try to do for Krishna. So if we have that urge within our hearts, then that will help us to overcome the urge for indulgence in material sense gratification. Another important point, which more is more important for all the brahmacharis. Now, in the western countries actually you may be surprised that there aren't that many older brahmacharis, but those who are, often the other devotees or the devotees of their own generation, their own age group, they often think he's a useless person. Why didn't he get married? He couldn't get married, he means he's useless. And he couldn't take sannyas and he couldn't get married, he means he's no good for anything. Sometimes they think like that. All the brahmacharis, they have no status. It's like they're, they're an unusual group. But in India, all the brahmacharis, especially those who are preaching or who are steady in their service, doing deity worship them, because in India people have more culture and people tend to respect them. So that can, that can be very dangerous also. So. It's very important that brahmacharis remain humble, as we were discussing in the class this morning. I was saying pride leadeth to a fall. I think pride goeth before a fall, is the, is the proper quote. We should be very careful to, to remain humble. And if we do so, then we're in a very good position for cultivating Krishna consciousness and going back to Godhead. <coughs> Nowadays, I'm often saying that actually the brahmacharya ashram is the best. Oh, it's better, better ashram than sannyasana in many ways for becoming Krishna conscious. Of course, if one is a sannyasi, then often people like to help him in his preaching activities. And so it's a, one may take sannyas to facilitate his preaching. But on the other hand, people tend to give you a lot of respect which and serve you, which actually for Vaishnavas, it's not... It's not good for developing Vaishnava qualities, actually. So, Brahmachari, generally people are not so anxious to serve them or respect them. So, it's easier to remain humble. Bhakti Vidya Purna Maharaj, maybe some of you know him. They call him Gurukul Maharaj. He told me the main difficulty for him on becoming a sannyasi was that as a Brahmachari, he'd always been a servant to sannyasis. So all of a sudden he was in a different position where he had to accept service and after so many years of being a personal servant, all of a sudden he was being served. So of course, sannyasi, he's, he accepts respect and service but he has to maintain that humility. So all the brahmacharis uh, in India, people have a tendency to respect them, which is again, that's part of the culture of India, that's good, but uh, all the brahmacharya has to be very careful not to become intoxicated by that. And intoxication means that one loses one's mental equilibrium and starts to think of himself as something very great or better than others, and, and that's very dangerous. So, cultivating humility is at the, is the very basis of Vaishnavism especially Chaitanya Mahaprabhu taught us. So if one can remain a simple, humble brahmacharya, brahmacharya life is also very good for simplicity. Sannyasis, I mean, you, you'll hardly find a sannyasi without a laptop computer. They also, because they have a complex life, they're traveling in different parts of the world and they have disciples in so many places and so many projects and this and that. And it's useful for their service. But a brahmachari, he just needs a little space to sleep in and a little prasadam and lead bag and chant Hare Krishna and do his service. <coughs> <coughs>
He doesn't eat. I actually found that after taking sannyas that in many ways my life did become more complex. Of course, my preaching has gradually expanded also. So taking sannyas is a kind of sacrifice for preaching that you give up some of your simplicity and uh, you accept various conditions for preaching. But uh, one thing is, after taking sannyas and especially after taking disciples, that uh, I had much more interactions with, with women than I did as a brahmachari. As a brahmachari, very little, practically nothing. I mean, I was town president for some time and there were some dealings like that, but even then, not much. So, uh, sannyasi is like a, a social figure because people like to invite him to their homes and feed him and even though he doesn't have any family, he becomes part of so many different families. <laughs> different families, they, they think he's our, our family's guru like this. So, like that, my life was much more simple and I had much less to do with women when I was a Brahmacha, actually. So it's really, in many ways, it's the best ashram for own personal spiritual development. And you can also, there are also so many opportunities for developing preaching, which uh, householders, they, they have to earn money. So, a lot of their time and energy goes in that. So, Brahmachari can just dedicate all his life. There are very, there may be various austerities in, in Brahmachari life to, to all day, every day, only be engaged in Krishna's service. We have to have a taste for it. If we don't have a taste, then we can't continue. Of course, after. The alternative is also not very palatable. We may, sometimes devotees think they get married, maybe not even so much because, you know, it's not, not like they're so much strongly pushed by gross, lusty desires, but they just feel like, I, you know, I need a little place of my own and space and independence to do my own thing. But then you don't, it's just an illusion. You don't get, you, I mean, you get a little tiny apartment somewhere. But you, you have to spend all your time working on independence and it's, you may think, well, I don't like the town president telling me what to do. But then you have your boss at work telling you what to do and you have your wife telling you what to do when you get home. So, it's, it's just an illusion that you can be better off in family life. Of course, many devotees will go that way, but in general we recommend if you can live as a if you can be, it, it takes contentment of mind. If one can be content with whatever he has. Again, I was just reading this just now. Ramandev telling Bali Maharaj that a brahmana who is content with whatever comes to him of his own accord, then his spiritual potency increases day by day. But a brahmana who is not content with what he gets, then he loses all his spiritual potency. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna Mataji. So be content. Yadricha Lava Santushto. You know this word? What does this line mean? What does this line mean? Yeah, one should be satisfied with. Yeah. One who is satisfied with whatever comes by its own accord. Very important instruction. We have many basic instructions in Shastra which we, we hear them and we say them but if we actually practice in our life they're so valuable instructions. If we can, if one can simply learn to be content of course in one sense we're not content because we want to preach, we're not content seeing the whole world not Krishna conscious. But if one is not disturbed by various material situations it's a great advice that I was quoting Hari Kripa Mataji. I was asking, is everything all right? Is there no problems? We just, if we just tolerate it, then there are no problems. It's very, very good realization because it's a fact. You see, some people in the Western countries more so because there's, there's so many arrangements for everything is arranged for comfort there. So if there's any slight disturbance in their comfort, they become very upset and disturbed. That describes in Prabhupada Lilamita also how. 
in New York, Prabhupada was there in 1965 or 6, and there, there was an electric film. And you're all looking at me and saying, so what, there's metric failure. In India every day there's metric failure. But in America, it's a, even in those days, in the 1960s, it was just unheard of and it lasted for, I don't know, 10 hours or 14 hours. The whole, most of the city of New York was without electricity. And it was like a major disturbance. People were just like extremely upset. And for Prabhupada, well, you know, he's just sitting in his room chanting Hare Krishna. That's all. So what? <laughs> but we find some people, if they're just any material disturbance, they become very upset and disturbed. If we can learn to tolerate, and basically, traditionally in India, people have this quality of, of tolerating difficulties. Although that's going now. Nowadays, we find, because people, are, they have so many comforts, and we find some people, if, if they don't have the fan, or the AC, or they don't have cold water from a cooler, they become oh, so disturbed. But traditionally in India, people just tolerate it. Just like in, in, in Rajasthan or in Saurashtra, in the, in, the, in the summer, so hot, and people, they just... they don't know anything else. They just tolerate that something. But nowadays, people... Uh, that's going. And they have to. They, they have to have so many material comforts. But if you can just be content, so brahmacharis, this is a great quality. Be content. And also, not only with the material facilities, but in dealing with other people also, because human relationships and interactions, especially in the modern age, there's so many disturbances. Everyone's mind is disturbed. And then, by being disturbed, they also disturb everyone else. They also disturb everyone else they come in contact with. You follow? Because... We ourselves are disturbed and then we deal with others in such a way that they also become disturbed. And even among devotees, it's, there is all the time some, some kind of underlying or maybe not even underlying, maybe even overlying, <laughs> grossly apparent uh, misunderstandings or not proper dealings, but it's, uh, if we can just tolerate it's a great, great quality. <coughs> Hare Krishna. Any questions? <coughs> it's a food habit. Regulated food habit. Yeah. So can you elaborate on that? Elaborate means there's not much elaboration needed. I mean, eat simply. Don't eat too much. Eat at regular times. I can't say too much about that because I eat sweets myself. <laughs> Sometimes, or whenever they come, you can eat. In the Western countries, Prabhupada had this... Uh, I'll tell you a funny story. In the Western countries, Prabhupada introduced a basic diet. In the morning, they would take usually upma and chickpeas. And I think devotees asked Prabhupada once how many they should take, and he said eight or something, like raw chickpeas. So when I joined in the temple, I used to count each devotee, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Don't take more than that, eight chickpeas in the morning. And, and they used to take raw ginger because Prabhupada himself used to take. So that we used to take in the morning. And then at midday, chapati, dal, rice, sabji, like that. That was every day. And a little bit of Mahaprasana. And then every Sunday we have a huge feast with so many rich preparations. So usually, I mean, that was the only thing even slightly resembling sense gratification that the devotees had all week. And it was actually a very austere life in many ways. But the Sunday feast was just like something phenomenal. It was even famous. I mean, devotees, they used to... Coming from America to India, they always used to stop in London. And one of the main reasons was to come for the prasadam in that very place temple in central London. It was famous. So anyway, after one Sunday, you see what happened after the Sunday feast, the devotees, they were, the brahmacharis, they would eat so much, you just can't believe. <laughs> and then it was like five or six stories up to the brahmachari ashram, which was smaller than this room, and there were always at least 30 brahmacharis. 
really, I mean, it was really, I mean, significantly more crowded than this temple is. Very, very. Always at least 30, and sometimes <coughs> 40, 50, even 70 on a Rathiatra day we'd have. I mean, very overcrowded. So anyway, the devotees would struggle up the stairs, and then they would, you know, they'd try and find some spot to lie down on. And they even had an, they had an attic, which is just up on the roof. They go there also. So I asked the town president that, that you see, the devotees, they always eat too much on the Sunday feast. On the, you know, fantastic fried foods and sabjis and very rich, very rich sweets you don't have in India like this, very thick with ghee and so many things. So I asked the town president that, you know, why, you know, devotees, they always eat too much, so why did Prabhupada encourage us to have these Sunday feasts? So his immediate reply was that, because if we didn't have them, we'd all bloop. Bloop means we'd all leave. There are many such stories. Of devotees who were thinking, of, you know, it's very austere, how can I stay? Because in the Western countries, like I'm saying, they're very used to material comforts. And then when if you join our temple and there's absolutely no material comforts, I mean, in those days especially, the temples, they were much more austere than this temple is in many ways. So they'd be thinking of going, but they thought, well, maybe I'll just stay till the Sunday feast. <laughs> and then when they took the Sunday feast, they couldn't move anyway. <laughs> and then afterwards, for a few days, they were thinking, well, you know, Krishna conscious, it's, it's okay. You know, there's nice prasadam. And then by Wednesday, again, they're thinking, okay, tomorrow I'm leaving. And then Thursday, they're thinking, well, it's only three more days to the Sunday feast. <laughs> like this, they'd be gone. So nice prasadam, I mean, we're talking about simple prasadam, but on the other hand, if it's too simple, honestly speaking, most of the devotees, they don't like to stay. They like to have nice prasadam. So Prabhupada also said that we should give the devotees nice prasadam. It doesn't mean it should be overly rich all the time, but from time to time we have feast days. And even in general, the Prabhupada said the prasad should be sumptuous. That means not... It doesn't have to be like super opulent, but whatever preparations are there, if they're nicely cooked, not overly spiced, but nicely cooked, nicely prepared, tasteful, so devotees can be satisfied and go on with their service. So we don't recommend that we be very austere with prasadam. Actually, sometimes some devotee told Prabhupada, I'm feeling so much, too much sexual agitation, and Prabhupada told him that you just eat chapatis without ghee and boiled sabji and dal with no spices or salt. But I don't think that devotee did it. But uh, in general, too much chili is, is not good. Too much mustard seeds. In general, mustard seed is not a very good spice actually. Jira is better. Prabhupada recommended that. For, for digestion it's good. And mustard is a very hot spice. But it doesn't actually help very much with digestion. It's not good for digestion in the same way that jeera is. So some light spicing, tastefully prepared. And uh, too much sweet, no, it's not, not so good. Occasionally. In Vrindavan in the winter, <coughs> Prabhupada was there once and they were serving the devotees just dry chapatis. Prabhupada saw he said, no, you should, he said, put a little ghee. He said, because it's cold, you need. So Prabhupada, he wasn't, generally he wasn't recommending like super, super austere. On the other hand, it, it shouldn't be that like, there's a big feast every day and then everyone's just sleeping all day. So moderation, as is recommended in Bhagavad Gita. Which verse? Yukta Hara Viharasya. One should be moderate, neither fanatically austere, nor indulgent in sense gratification. Sweet and fat. Fat, you mean ghee. Alright, so don't take any. <laughs> Finished. Keep your hand away from your mouth. Don't. Actually, you should go and wash it. If you put your hand on your lips, you should wash it immediately. It's a common habit, but it's a bad habit. 
as soon as you touch your hand to your mouth it becomes contaminated hand to mouth or ears or nose you should wash it so, ear means if you put it in the ear like <coughs> not like that that's okay inside sometimes you feel some itching then I, I have my water pot I wash I don't need to wash it eyes also yeah. there's so many germs isn't it that all these apertures most of the diseases are conveyed orally like we pick it up someone breathes and we pick it up in the air by breathing it in where all the apertures of the body they emit in the 18th chapter of Bhagavad Gita, mm-hmm. we have perfection of renunciation. We have this stage Gita with Oh, yeah, you have those books. So there is mentioned that one who prematurely renounces, mm-hmm. then he will have great difficulty, especially as mm-hmm. So, like, what is the standard like when you devotees are coming and they want to? Well, that I rec- that I was saying that once you make the decision and you're accepted in the ashram, and in the first few years you just don't think of it, you just do your service, and then afterwards you can consider whether to stay as a brahmachari or go to grihastha life. There are some devotees who take up brahmachari life, and afterwards they have difficulty, and then. They want to get married, but, and there are others who take up Ramachai life and they continue. A lot depends on the atmosphere, actually. I was in, in the Czech Republic just recently, and there are several devotees who have been Ramachais for, for many years, actually. Now they're like late 30s, and they're, you know, they're going on with their lives, and they're not showing any signs of overt agitation, even though they're living in the Western world, which is... No, they don't have the basic culture of spiritual life. So because the atmosphere has been maintained in that ISKCON in the Czech Republic, so it's an atmosphere favorable for them to be uh, to be Krishna conscious in Brahmacharya life, so they're able to maintain. So strong atmosphere is actually required. Good association. Yeah, yeah. Did you all hear the question? He was saying that uh, often Mataji devotees, they come and they're asking the pujari, who may be a brahmachari, to give some offered flowers or whatever. So, and there may be reason, they, they, they prefer to, they think if they receive it from a brahmachari, there's more blessing, because they're considering like a sannyasi. They're considering like that, they get more of a blessing. So there's some kind of mystique to you know what mystique means? It means or we can, simply we can say there's kind of prestige which people appreciate and they think, or oh, if I get this from, if I, if I get prasad directly from the hands of Maharaj, then that's something very special. <laughs> so to them, uh, you know, anyone in Saffron is, they're all Maharajas. So that's, yeah, that's what I'm saying. They, Sannyasi has to be internally renounced. Otherwise, it will be very difficult. Sometimes when we are going for some teaching programs, some, um, sometimes if they are very good confident as Brahmacharya, mm. they are telling that teach me doctors and Yeah, you can teach, but that would mean in a group. If there, we we can 
We should have summer camps and seminars like this. Well, that's another reason why the Brahmacharya should have good relations. They should cultivate good relations with the Grihastha devotees because then uh, so many young women are interested in Krishna consciousness also, but then we should direct it. Let the Grihastha devotees deal with them and their wives. I get letters because I'm like this beginner's guide to Krishna conscious people. I get letters and young women write to me for more guidance and this and that. I, I give it to uh, such letters. I, I give like to Jai Damodar and, uh, and his wife. Can, his, I ask you, you ask your wife to reply to this like this. Or I may reply myself once or twice some email and and then I then uh, if Mataji's want to write to me regularly, I even my own disciples I say that I have them write to Gita Govinda. That probably most of you know her. And then she writes like that. So yeah, it's it's better you don't become too much involved. Even it's not recommended that sannyasi, his own disciples, that women, he becomes too much involved because they're supposed to have husbands and the husbands, is, it's not that he, you direct them independently of their husband. So what to speak of brahmacharis. But, but this, it's good, that it's true, there are many families who are interested, so we should have, Especially in the summer, we can have seminars and outings and all, all kinds of things. Actually, the summer, in many ways, is a good time for preaching. So, all these things can be developed. Regarding the question that even the Brahmacharya should not be attached to the layman that he can get from the Yeah. Especially Puja, Pujari. Because people think, oh, Pujari is very special, he's very close to God. Although Prabhupada always used to say that devotee cleaning the floor and devotee offering the arti in Krishna's eyes, they're all the same. But generally people think that Pujari is very special like that. It's, it's dangerous being special. Maybe. Sometimes I think, you know, I should just go back to washing the pots, it'd be much better. But there's, yeah, it's like I'm Abhimanyu, he's gone into the chakra of yoga, there's no way out. <laughs> I mean, I could wash the pots also, but, uh, you know, I, once you take up a certain role, it's difficult to come out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's better to continue the service and overcome the obstacle that comes with it. Because in every service that we have, there's a test. So the way to advance is, it's better, rather than retreating from the test, it's better to face the test and overcome it. Although sometimes if we find it's a little difficult, we may like take a, try to have to take a break. Or sometimes we can't take a break. I mean, Narayan was here a long time. He was the only devotee. He was headed to all the puja and the cooking. And, and you know, he could, we wanted to give him a break, but there was no way because there were no other devotees, actually. So, uh, now in, in such an instance, it, it always happens. In whatever service we're doing, Maya always comes in one form or another. So even if we think I'll change and do something else, still Maya will come in another way. Although sometimes a change can be good also. But one thing's for sure, we can't run away from Maya. She, she's always there. And you see, she may be running right behind us, right to catch us. We may, we may run like that, and she may just miss us, and then she'll come behind us in another way. <coughs> so in such a situation, when we see, oh, this is happening, now, I, now I'm becoming <coughs> egoistic, or I'm becoming attached to whatever it is, then, then understanding in the problem is the beginning of overcoming it, isn't it? If we, don't, if, we don't, if we think there's no problem, then it's impossible to overcome. Sometimes we preach to a devotee that, you know, you've got this problem and that person says, no, no, I don't know it. no, it's not true. Everyone can see it except them. That's another form of maya. And you can't, you can't help it, such a devotee. So if you can see the problem, that's the beginning. You're helping to overcome it. And uh, what to do? You just have to pray to Krishna and be realistic. Often people ask me, well, how can we become humble and overcome pride? And then I, I always ask them, well, what are you proud about? What do you have to be proud about? 
And then if you analyze it, actually no one's got anything to be proud of. Right? Even if you're like GBC of half the world and you know, whatever we are, we're all very insignificant in comparison to Krishna. So we should see like that. And even from the, our own personal point of view, there's no happiness in there's no there's no happiness in being proud or thinking I'm great or anything. It simply breeds distress for ourselves. So even if, even if our only motive is personal happiness, then we should just be uh, simple and humble and serve Krishna. Every sannyasi has to go through this all the time. All the time, have to remind yourself this is everything is for Krishna. Offer everything to Prabhupada. Otherwise, if you don't, then immediately you get spiritual indigestion. You can't, you can't digest. The jiva cannot digest name, fame, glory, all these things. He has to offer it to Krishna. Otherwise, he's finished. They are coming to our mm. 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 Well, many people come to me asking for advice also, and I give them general advice, but when it's a specific kind of thing, then I say, then you have to see the managers. Just like if they're asking, you know, about, they ask some general thing, how to control the mind, how to control the sense, how we chant better, then I can speak. But if they say, well, what do you think about adjusting my service, or having difficulty with such and such a person, then I say, well, then you have to speak to the person involved. So you have to see, you have to use your discrimination. It's natural that journey devotees will come to all the bodies and it's nice that they do so. I mean, I know myself, when I first joined the movement, I, I was so much helped by so many senior devotees who were kind enough to spend time talking to me. And, and even many junior devotees, they complain that, you know, everyone's so busy. I mean, I'm not saying in this temple, but in the other time they say, everyone's so busy, no one has time to talk to me. Someone sent a letter from, from Navadip saying like that. So it's nice, actually, if some of the older devotees do have some extra time and they can spend time talking to and advising and just being friends with the new devotees because they need they need that also. It's, it's some personal assistance and help and, and just someone to be friendly to them. If, if everyone's so busy all the time, then it's, it may be very difficult for them to, be, to become attached to the society of devotees if it's just... <coughs> If there's no way, they don't have time to talk to others and develop relationships. We can't develop relationships unless we have time for others, time to speak to them, and, you know, understand them, what are their problems, and help them to overcome them. Your devotees especially need more attention. Well, if we're sick, then we should do whatever is required to get better and go back and become healthy. But we should also live in such a way that, as much as possible, that we don't get sick. Of course, mostly, as Prophet said, ours is a pushing movement. So, there may be a lot of strain and stress. And, and stress in the sense that we're always pushing harder to serve Krishna. Because if we don't do that, then the tendency is to become slack and lax. So, pushing is also required. But sometimes the body may forcefully take a break by getting sick. It may happen like that. So then we have to be understanding also and give the bodies time to recover.
Well, I don't think it's like when they come back in the evening, the, the first thing they have to do is clean the toilet, is it? But when they come back, they come back like at 10 o'clock at night and they have to clean the toilets? I would think it's more like it's part of their schedule during the week, isn't it? So then it becomes... Yeah, that's true, that's nice. Yeah, that's good. That's very nice, yeah. Yeah, that's good. Very nice. Good idea. In India especially there's this feeling that cleaning is only for low class people. But actually cleaning is very much a Brahminical culture. So it's good if everyone engages in this. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. It's very pleasing also when everything is nice and clean. It very much affects the consciousness. If everything is nice and clean, then it helps to keep our consciousness clean. And if everything is all... If there's dirt, even if you can't see it, say it's often you see behind a cupboard, it's very dirty, you can't see it, but it actually affects your consciousness also. Even if you don't know it's there. What's your name, Prabhu? Which Aish? Rajneesh. Rajneesh. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't laugh. They, they all laugh. <laughs> Where are you staying? <coughs> you like to come for Mongolati and all these things? That's very nice. That's good. So, go on chanting Hare Krishna and develop all these things. Preaching outside, preaching and outside activities, inside activities, cleaning and then... When we have a group of people living together, there are so many different interactions and different feelings and just to keep everything in focus that we're all here to serve Krishna so we shouldn't we shouldn't make our ego so big that we want to fill up the whole temple space with our ego that everything should everything should be controlled by my ego but rather we should be as humble Vaishnavas there are many dilemmas that to preach and to be humble, to manage and be humble. On one side we have to push devotees to serve and on the other side we have to consider their <coughs> personal needs. There's always there the, the needs of the institution and the needs of the individual. So we're here to sacrifice. At this, the, the individuals who have joined the institution, they're, they're here to sacrifice for the, for the sake of the institution, which means ultimately for the sake of Krishna. At the same time we have to see what are the needs of the individual that they also they need, they need sufficient clothing, food, if they're sick they need this and that and they also need training and guidance and friendship and so many things and then we may, we may want to teach them make sure they have specific time for, uh, enough reading, time for reading and all these different things. So it's dynamic. It's, it's everything can't be can't be exactly put into a book exactly how we should behave and what we should do at every moment of the day but let's all dedicate our mind our minds our lives and our activities in the service of Prabhupada and Krishna and go on in this way working together serving Krishna Things are developing very nicely, like I was saying. Just a few years ago, there was Narayan and 
sometime there was that who is that from Maharashtra what's his name Somnath and maybe someone else like that it was I mean things were just hardly going on it was a real struggle and people were coming but there was no there was no preaching activities it was just a struggle to, to maintain money was coming from Ahmedabad to maintain the temple and no devotees so gradually things are developing and then there are signs of that it may develop more and more very nicely in future so it's very good news another thing we all have to understand is that you know we all have different programs that we're doing but but really Krishna consciousness it works as a group effort Sankirtan all together things work very nicely when devotees are all cooperating together to serve Krishna so it's a group effort we all have to contribute to the group effort Jai Hare Krishna so we'll finish there Hare Krishna Hare Krishna